Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we begin the show on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, brought to you by Ihole, the award-winning tequila, the official tequila of the JT The Brick Show, also brought to you by You Pick Trade. A lot happening in baseball. Garrett Cole's interview yesterday, Major League Baseball pitchers being accused of getting an unfair advantage for using sticky substances on baseball and Major League Baseball about to crack down on this. Joining us, the all-time Hit King, Pete Rose joins us. Hit King, how are you, Pete? JT, I'm, I'm doing well. I, I have to tell you something. On the 17th, uh, which is in a week and a half or so, 7.30 in the morning, I get to go talk to the Las Vegas Raiders. Wow. 90 players and 10 or 12 coaches. I got to go to their, their facility and uh, uh, and give them, I don't know what kind of speech. I guess uh, my my speech is uh, win. That's, you know, I'm, I'm like Al Davis, win baby. I think that was a great expression that he created many, many years ago. And as you know from being around me, uh, I take winning very seriously, and I hope the Raiders do too. I know John Gruden does, and I hope I can uh, try to get some kind of message across to all those great players that are on the Raiders. That'll Absol- be fun for me. That'll yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm, I can't wait to hear about it. Pete, let's begin. I talked to you about this foreign substance used by pitchers yeah. in yeah. baseball. All of a sudden, Major League Baseball, like a, a big light went off, and they said, we've got to fix this problem instantly, but how do I know who's cheating or not or who's using one of these foreign substances? Well, first of all, JT, um, I, I'm not going to agree with that because I just don't think there's that many pitchers cheating because I just think there's so much, so much bad hitting in baseball. You know, I mean, all these guys want to do is swing up, elevate, try to hit the ball in the air. And I've never seen so many strikeouts and pop-ups uh, in all my life in baseball. And I don't, I don't want to give the, uh, too much credit to the pitchers because uh, I don't think there's that many good pitchers out there. I think probably two hands on our two hands would be the number of really good pitchers. And I don't think uh, Derek Cole and guys like that need to cheat with the way these guys approach hitting today. You know, I watch, I've never seen so many guys swing at balls that bounce in front of the plate, JT. Now, I, I, I know when you used to throw spitballs and Vaseline balls, they would explode and they would usually be like a, a fork ball and they would bounce. But I, I, I don't understand by having a, draw, a dry baseball How's that? How's that help the ball move? I I can't understand that. Can you explain it to me? Yeah, that's saying that the sticky substance and whatever they could be using, uh, spider tack is what it's called, gives them a stickier and a better grip, so they can get more of a rotation on the ball, so the ball moves faster and the ball moves a little bit more, and it's just a way of a pitcher having more control of the baseball with that sticky substance, which gives them an advantage. Well, what happened to rosin? I mean, I see him pick up the rosin bag all the time. Isn't that what the rosin bag is for? To try to get better uh, grip on the ball? You nailed I mean, it. This is a higher level like, of it that. Seems like what you, it seems like what you're talking about right now. 
that it would be hard to get away with. I mean, it, 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 all the umpires got to do is go out there and check him. And if he goes out and checks him, and he's got that substance you're talking about, what are they going to do to him? What is baseball going to do to him? They go suspend him for 10 days? Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, that's the problem. That's the problem. Baseball, uh, baseball don't know how to, to clean up their own act. Here's the problem. I mean, the last 10 yeah. years, uh, JT, we talk all the time. Okay? What rule change has baseball made in the last five, six years that has helped the game become a better sport for you and I to watch? I no know. contact at second base? No contact at home plate? Can't pitch inside? You know, baseball, they don't address the most important thing as far as the fans are concerned. And I talk to fans every day. Speed up the game. They don't know how to speed up the game. They haven't figured it out. Every pitch, every player steps out and readjusts his batting gloves. What is that all about? Pete Rose joins us. Well, Pete, now pitchers will be checked repeatedly and randomly by umpires for foreign substances with every starting pitcher likely to be checked at least two times per start. And to not slow the game down, they're going to do that at the end of an inning. Imagine you're managing back in the day. Your pitcher yeah. comes off the mound. The umpire meets him in front of you at the dugout, and he's checking his forearms, his hat, and his hair. Well, I'm going to tell you something, JT, okay? You bet. All right? You bet. I bet. You bet. Okay? I'll guarantee you the averages won't go up in the next two weeks when they start checking. We'll, 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 we'll be taking a, tra- a track on this, mm-hmm. okay? It's not like... The, the umpires uh, are, are going to check that averages are going to go up on these hitters because these hitters, they don't have no approach as far as hitting the baseball. Even guys like Mookie Betts are hitting 260. Is that because of the pitchers are cheating? Other guys on the Dodgers are hitting well. You know, the guys in Cincinnati, they got the highest average in baseball. Hell, they got the home run king and they got the, 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 the number two and three hitter in the league. Uh, aren't they using this substance against the Reds? And the Reds are under 500, mm-hmm. but they got a couple decent hitters, and Castellanos and, and Winkler. Right. I mean, Winkler's got 17, 18 home runs, but he's hitting 350. I mean, why aren't they cheating against the Reds? Or if they aren't, they better start. <laughs> I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Pete but Rose. we can only talk about a couple teams that have good hitting, JT. I mean, the overall hitting just sucks in baseball. I don't know what it is. And I don't want to give credit to too, much, too many pitchers because I think that most teams, if not all, the, 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 the very best teams in baseball have good middle relief pitching. But the majority of teams in baseball have nobody any good in middle relief. And if you track it like I do, most runs in baseball are scored in the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning today. Not the first, second, or third. And starters do a good job. And not the ninth because closers usually a good job. Okay, what are middle relief pitchers? They're guys that aren't good enough to start, and they're not good enough to close. But they got to be on the staff because you need 10 or 12 pitchers. Figure it out. It's not rocket science. I mean, these pitchers in relief are throwing up meatballs, and these guys are just te- teeing off on them. I mean, there's a lot of guys, JT, that have more home runs and they got singles or doubles. That's not the way baseball was invented. You need some of those two-out base hits for the man on second. Or second, third, and two outs to get a base hit score, two runs. Quit worrying about hitting a three-run home run. 
I'm just tired of seeing so many guys strike out on balls that bounce up to the plate. Tell me about it. I mean, I'm, it's, uh, tell it's, me about it's almost it. like Ray Charles is batting. Yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. Tell me about it. Judge and Stanton come up. If they're down 0-2 in the count, they are done. There's a pitch they in no the chance. dirt. They, they have, have no, no chance. chance. They have no chance. Pete Rose, no Pete Rose joins us. Youpicktrade.com. Get Pete and his son Tyler's picks. Receive your picks from the legend. Five out of six last night, JT. Five out of six last night. And why well, not? The other one by a basket. Well, why not the, over the, by a basket. Why not the greatest hitter of all time making picks? You, youpicktrade.com. All right, I want to ask you again about this substance issue. What was it like when you went to the plate against yeah. Gaylord Perry and you knew the spitter was coming? An hour before the game, did you guys get worked up? Were you guys yelling out at Gaylord? Something. What was happening? Yeah, I actually hit off Gaylord. This is no bull. And I, you know, my eye was right on the ball when it hit the bat. And one time I hit off of him. But when, when I hit the ball, spit flew off the ball. That's how much uh, grease or whatever he had on it. But he was notorious for it. He got away with it. And, you know, he faked everybody out by all the things he did before he threw the ball that, that leads you to believe he's thrown a spitball. I remember one time he threw 19 spitballs in the first inning. I remember another time Mike Scott, a really good pitcher for Houston, he used to scuff the ball in the same area. And one day we collected 18 balls off of Mike Scott and sent him into baseball, and they were all scuffed the same spot. We sent him into baseball to complain. They never did a darn thing to him. Remember Joe, remember Joe Necro had the Emory board Absolutely. come out of his pocket in Chicago? So we knew he was cheating. Did they kick him out of the game? I don't think so. I don't think so. How did you approach a scuff baseball? What was the difference with the rotation? How did you know? Could you really tell the difference? Uh, yeah, the ball moves a certain way. A spitball always goes down. A spitball is like throwing a hard um, a split finger. A split, you know, you can always tell when a guy's throwing a split finger because he'll bounce a lot of balls in the catcher and miss a lot of balls. When a guy's throwing a spitball, the catcher will miss a lot of balls because the balls just explode, but it always explodes down. Okay, that's the difference. And, uh, you know, if, if you know a guy, uh, everybody knows who threw spitballs back in them days or who scuffed the ball. You can't keep something like that a secret because there's too many other pitchers on the staff. They get traded. They do this. They do that. Uh, you know, and they all want to talk about it. So uh, you just accepted it. If a guy did it, you try to hit the, what we used to say, hit the dry side. Don't hit the wet side. Hit the dry <laughs> side. <laughs> I, remember, I remember one time in 68, the next to last day of the season, I'm batting Matty Alou for the batting championship. We're about a point away from each other. It's the next to last day of the season. I'm facing Gaylord in Cincinnati. He's facing uh, uh, Fergie Jenkins in Chicago. I got five for five. He got four for four. And I swear to God, four of the hits I got off of Gaylord were spitballs. Incredible. And I remember after I got my fourth hit, he looked over and said, you had enough? I said, enough. I get another at bat. And it was one of them games where he pitched nine innings, but he gave up 12 hits. And I got five of them, four of them on spitballs. So I wasn't bitching that day because I, I was hitting the dry side. <laughs> How many pitchers did you talk to, Pete, when you got to first or you were great friends with or you were on the all-star team with them? If you had a good day against them, you get to first or they'd look over to you or at a bat. How often did you talk at or to pitchers? I, believe it or not, I used to talk to guys I couldn't hit. A guy used to drive me crazy, JT, was Randy Jones. He won a Cy Young. Okay, he wasn't a, 
really a bad. He's a good pitcher. And he used to get you out. And when you'd run back by him, he'd laugh at you. Those are the kind you hate. Okay, they're laughing at you because they got you out. And they know they can't break a, a, a glass with their fastball. And I remember one time, <laughs> believe it or not, Sparky, who couldn't hit his, he couldn't hit his way out of a wet bag, he, had, he told me how to hit Randy Jones. He said, get up in the batter's box. You take that sinker away from him. It didn't help me. I just couldn't hit Randy Jones. It's just so. How are you going to tell me to hit Sandy Koufax? Had the best curveball ever seen and a really good fastball. Every time Sandy Koufax went to the mound, JT, you know this, he had a chance of pitching a no hitter. It's the same way with Nolan Ryan. There is no way that a set way to face those guys. There is no set way to face Verlander uh, or, or Cole or. Or, or, or uh, the kid from the, the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the kid was with Cincinnati last year. One sorry, yeah. Trevor Bauer. Or uh, uh, the the good pitchers. There's really no way to go about them. You just hope they make a mistake. What I mean by that, leaving the fastball normally down up in the strike zone. And once you get it, listen. Every pitcher pitching today will give you one pitch to hit at every at bat. If you foul it off, you're screwed. And some pitchers will give you two or three. And the bad pitchers will give you more than that. And you got to get the hits. We got, we got Lions that, that approach you every day, and we got Lambs. You got you to you gotta do good against the Lambs because the Lions are going to eat you up. Okay? That's why you have a rotation. That's why there's a guy number one in the rotation, a guy number two in the rotation, a guy number five in the rotation. Okay? They're trying to hide him. There's just there's just not that many good pitchers out there. I don't care how hard they throw mm-hmm. JT. They all threw hard. You think you, you think J.R. Richard didn't throw hard? You think Nolan Ryan didn't throw hard? Uh, and you think Ryan Darren didn't throw hard? Uh, Don Wilson didn't throw hard. Larry Durker didn't throw hard. Koufax threw hard. Yeah, tell me Gibson more about hey, Pete. Tell me more about Koufax. Pete Rhodes joins us for the youngsters who are too young to see him and they want to go on YouTube. What was Koufax like in his prime, and how did you approach him? Well, you just go up there and you try to get a fastball. His fastball, it didn't actually rise, but it looked like it it rise when they come in. He started out at your waist and ended up at your tits. Okay, it just would take off. Then he come back with that. He had real, you know, he went to Cincinnati University as a basketball player. So he had real big hands, and he wrapped that curveball right over the top, and it just just broke straight down. And he threw it for strikes. You know, you couldn't look for the fastball, and you couldn't look for the curveball. You you just had to see the ball. I mean, that's why he was such a great pitcher. I mean, the, every time the guy went out there, he could pitch a no hitter. I mean, he would he would he would wear him out today the way they swing the balls. Yeah. He would wear him out today. So would Gibson. Okay, so would Fergie Jenkins. He just stayed outside on that corner at Wrigley Field, and Elk tried to pull him and hit the ground ball back to him or back to the second baseman. I mean, they just don't have an – you've got to have an approach. You've you, you got to have a system if you want to be a good hitter. And there's some good hitters in baseball, mm-hmm. but the overall hitting, the overall hitting, the average is like 230-something. That's terrible. That's I think that's even lowered in 1968, when Gibson uh, threw 13 shutouts and had a 1.12 earned run average. I did all right that year. I hit th- uh, won the band time. Hit 338. So my approach must have been a good approach because the year of the pitcher I hit 338. So you know, I mean, it's just 
it's just a, it's just a matter of first of all, JT, if you're going to be a good hitter, okay, you have to know what the guy throws. So I tell people this all the time. I think I even told it once, once on your show. The easiest place to hit today is the big leagues because you agree with me that everybody that plays in the big leagues has hand-eye coordination. You don't make the big leagues without hand-eye coordination. What happens when you get to the big leagues? The lights are better. The umpires are better. Pitching control is better. And maybe most importantly, you're facing the same dudes year after year after year. They don't get better. It's just a matter of who's going to win the war, and the war is three out of ten. What other sport can you do three out of ten and make the Hall of Fame? If Tom Brady completes three out of ten, we're not buying that shirt. If LeBron James hits three out of ten, we're not buying that shirt. But baseball, the criteria is three out of ten. So you make seven outs out of every ten at bats, and you go to the Hall of Fame. That's how hard baseball is to hit a baseball. When they say it's the hardest thing to do in sports, they were telling the truth. Pete Rose, as we wrap it up, one more baseball topic. Rob Manford's got another controversy in front of him. It's this pitching substance issue, and yeah. baseball is alarmed by this, and they're going to change the rules, and they're going after the pitchers. He had a controversy, Rob Manford, with a sign-stealing scandal with Houston yeah. and Boston. <laughs> I don't think he handled that well. You're not at war with Rob Manford. As fans, no. as fans, general fans come up to you every day when they bring up the Hall of Fame and the commissioner, and they don't know everything behind it. What do you think of what this commissioner is doing now trying to put out these fires? Well, well, first of all, I don't think Rob Manford is the guy that changed the rules of breaking up double plays and running into catchers and pitching inside. Uh, those are things that haven't really helped the game. Uh, but, but we players, we players in my era or today's era, we put these commissioners in tough situations. And I kind of, I kind of feel for the commissioner. You know, what What the hell does a commissioner know about a pitcher out there trying to cheat to get guys out? What does a, a commissioner know about guys stealing signs so they can wear out the opposition's pitchers? I mean, he, he's just a boss. I mean, he just he just pleases up the area, but he's got a lot of people working in the, in, in the, in, in the back scenes trying to figure out what's going on here. You know, Rob Manford won the reason that you can't break up a double play. Rob Manfred wasn't the reason you can't run over a catcher. He's not the reason you can't pitch inside if you want to retaliate against somebody. It's those guys making the rules. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the guy leading that committee was Joe Torrey. Mm -hmm. And Joe Torrey was a player and a really good player. So I'm surprised that people that were good players would change the rules the way they're changing. Hey, we've been playing this damn game since 1869 with the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And I thought for the first hundred years or so, the game was in pretty good shape. You know, players will police up the area. You don't need a commissioner in New York or a bunch of guys that are wearing suits changing all the rules of the game of baseball. It's okay to change the rules, JT, if you're going to make the game a better game. But I hate to say this, and I think you'll agree with me, okay? Baseball is – I love baseball. I think it's the greatest sport in the world. But today, it's boring to watch. You don't want to be in that position where your sport is boring. Baseball used to be the nation's number one pastime. Hey, I'd rather watch a hockey game than a baseball game. And I played 24, 20, 3,500 games in the big leagues. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. In basketball, there's three-point shooting league, okay? Uh, in the NFL is a pass-throwing league. Those are exciting for fans. 
and baseball thinks that home runs are the way to get the fans back. Home runs do get the fans back, but not when you have five or six home runs every freaking game. How many runs are scored today because of the, 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 the home run? Most of them. Most of them. Most of them. You know that. You follow it. And that, that's what makes it hard for you, pick, for me to pick games. Because who's going who's gonna to be hitting the home runs today? Who's not going to be hitting the home runs? I mean, they'll shatter all the home run records this year. Yeah, team home run records, no doubt. Hey, yeah. Pete, finally, how about these Golden Knights here in Vegas? How about that, that game? Wait till tomorrow night. That crowd will be frantic. <laughs> okay, you will never hear a crowd in sports. I, I, I'm predicting this. And, and I know you pick won't 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 put this up on the line, but that crowd tomorrow night will be the loudest crowd you've ever heard at a sporting event. You will not be able to hear the commentators talk about that game tomorrow night. And if the night score first, the roof's going to come off of that T-Mobile. Absolutely, go to youpicktrade.com. Check out the Hit King selections with the Sun. Good to talk to you, Pete. This was a big topic on pitchers. Thanks for making time for me. It's always a pleasure. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself. Take care. My pleasure. Pete Rose, the all-time hit king. That'll be the best interview you hear on radio, and it had nothing to do with me. You don't want to put that on SportsCenter tonight? Don't put it on SportsCenter. Go interview Buster Olney again, who never played the game. Okay? That guy, Pete Rose, knows more about baseball than any human being on planet Earth. Okay? We know all about the history, all about him being banned from baseball. I'm all about forgiveness. He's 80 years old. Listen to him talk. Does he sound like he's 40 or 80? The guy watches baseball every day. The guy knows what's the problems with baseball. He loves baseball. He tells you it's boring. It's boring. And now baseball is panicking, panicking because they're afraid of the millennials. They're afraid of my sons who are 20 and 17 and walk by the TV. I go, sit down and watch a game with me. What? No, 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 I want to watch the NBA. I want to watch soccer. I want to watch something else. Because baseball is scared of itself. Pete Rose ran over Ray Fossey. Very unfortunate that it changed Ray Fossey's career in an all-star game. But it was a play at the plate, and Pete won the game. And he, and, he, and he treated third base and home plate and second base the same way. How do I get to the base? If someone's in the way, I'm going to do whatever I can to break up that play. They get rid of that the Buster Posey rule, because Buster Posey unfortunately got hurt. Now we got a runner on second base in extra innings. Now everybody's scared of pitchers and what pitchers have. Look, I don't have a problem with the pitchers getting caught now cheating. I look at it just like steroids, but lesser. Steroids changes your body. It gives you the ability. Everybody says, well, what's the difference, JT, with steroids? Have you lost your mind? Steroids gave Bonds the ability to get off an airplane at 2 in the morning in Phoenix and go to the gym at 7 in the morning and lift more weights than he ever did in his life. His veins were popping out of his head. He was on performance-enhancing drugs. So in his third at-bat in Phoenix, he was able to tattoo a home run because he was stronger and more fit than he would been when players break down. Steroids gave you an unfair advantage with fitness and the ability to play a long schedule. Now, some guys broke down and got hurt from it, but a lot of guys benefited. So what about uh, baseball pitchers cheating? If you take a baseball and take your glove over your belt buckle and scratch the baseball, that's what they're all doing, right? That's pretty obvious. They're taking the ball and they're scratching it on their belt buckle. And they're making the ball scuffed. 
Pete talked about Mike Scott, the great Houston pitcher. He scuffed the ball more than anybody over one year, had one of the greatest years ever. They all knew he was cheating. But how bad was it? I asked Pete, what was it like? He was hitting baseballs off of Gaylord Perry where the spit would come off the bat and he would see it. What type of hand coordination and eyesight did Pete Rose have to be able to see a pitch that was dropping with Vaseline or spit, hit it the other way, see the spit come off the bat and ball, and get to first base? You think that Aaron Judge can do that? Who can do that in this league? No one can do this in this league. Here's the Garrett Cole soundbite. He was asked before the Yankee game at Minnesota. He was caught red-handed. I'm a Yankee fan. You know me. I think Garrett Cole's cheating. But so's 200 other pitchers. So he's not going to go to jail. He was asked about this spider track. Listen to this answer. I don't know. I, 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 don't, know. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean... There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. Holy crap. That was the worst answer he could ever have said. You know what he said? Um, 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 um. Well, we were taught from the generation before us how to cheat and how to get an advantage. And I know you all know that I do this. And if we'd like to figure this out all together, I'm open to figure it out. Can you believe that answer? He made $340 million from the Yankees because of what he was doing with the Astros, which got him that contract. And the Astros are the biggest cheaters at all. Now he goes to the Yankees. You don't think everybody's going to watch him now? And if he doesn't pitch well now, the Yankees are going to look at him going, oh, my God. We paid you for all of this? This is a big topic. That's why I had Pete Rose on today. Pete Rose called me at home today. My son was making breakfast. I put Pete on speakerphone. Told my son, sit down. Just sit down. And me and Pete talked for a half hour. Just talked about all this stuff. I hung up the phone. We booked him on the show today. And my son was like, wow. Yeah, like, wow. Listen to what Pete had to say. That's the access we give you. Brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. You could head out to any PTs. How, how are you not going to be there Thursday at PTs? PTs is going to be packed, 64-plus locations. Happy hours, 5 to 7. Half-off drinks and the Golden Knights on. Coming up, the man, the legend, who scored the final touchdown in the Heidi game, Preston Huber, joins us. This is a rare, rare Raider interview coming up next. Don't miss it. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. On the subsequent kickoff, Jets teammates collided. 
the Raiders recovered the fumble for their second touchdown in nine seconds and went on to win by 11 points. And the Oakland Coliseum became an enormous secret love-in called the Heidi Bowl. We knew that we won the game. The people in the stadium knew we won the game. But the people who were watching on television across the country thought that the Jets won and we lost. John Madden on the Heidi game. Historic moment in Raider history. We're waiting on Preston Huber, who's supposed to join us. He scored the final touchdown in that game. That is Raider history on steroids. That's a big moment in Raider history. So we'll get this gentleman on who is 77 years old. I love when I interview some of the older gentlemen who played for the Raiders and are a part of history. So we'll check in with him. Jeff Sherman joins us from the Westgate. Coming up here in a little bit, Darren Millard at the top of the hour for the Golden Knights, which we're excited about. I mean, we have... A lot of big, big content coming to you here. And tomorrow, I host a show from the Raiders. Vinny Bonsignor will join me in studio. And we'll do a deep dive on OTAs and everything that went down over the last couple of weeks. Raiders' great attendance and how great the Raiders have been and how active they've been. Under John Gruden, who's there, who looks good, how they're breaking in new players. I'm excited to talk about the Raiders as I'll be around the facility tomorrow as we have a lot going on. Also, we're giving away two tickets today to the grand opening of Virgin Hotels. Remember when Virgin Hotels opened, it was a soft opening. We did the first show from there. Now the big opening with Christina Aguilera Thursday night. There's boxing there on Friday. It's going to be a really big weekend at Virgin. Brought to you by the M Resort and Casino. Preston Reidelhuber joins us. Preston, an honor to talk to you. Thanks for joining us, sir. My pleasure, my pleasure. How At this age, is a pleasure to talk to anybody. <laughs> yes, it's thrilling to talk to you. Before we get to the Heidi game, and everybody knows you from that game, you had a hell of a career at the University of Georgia. Tell me about your career in college and how you came to the AFL and NFL draft of 1966 and how your pro career started. Well, um, we were uh, I. I kind of chuckle when I hear these players and coaches talking when coaches get fired and players don't know what to do and they're transferring and getting a transfer portal because their coach got fired. Well, that happened to us after my sophomore year. Uh, uh, Vince Dooley came in uh, for my junior and senior year at University of Georgia. And the rules started to change in college football uh, when I was a freshman. Of course, freshmen were ineligible when, in 1962 when I was a freshman. But as a sophomore, you played uh, college football. You played offense and defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 64, they started moving toward, uh, well, I just used the term free substitution. And um, my senior year, it was total uh you could swap players at any time unlike you could when i was a freshman and sophomore and coach dooley and his staff he hired two uh he brought in two of the best coordinators in college football at that time i've asked him did he know what he was doing or was it dumb just dumb blind luck uh he brought in erskine russell and his brother bill dooley erskine russell was defensive coordinator and bill dooley was offensive coordinator our offense was very simplistic. We we were an option team. 
I never once in two years playing quarterback ever dropped back to throw a football. Uh, when I was playing for Vince, it was you were either running to the right or running to the left. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was always an option. And then when I was uh, – we had pretty good teams – my senior year, we got to fourth in the nation, but we didn't have a lot of depth, and then everybody started getting hurt. Oh, the wheels kind of mm-hmm. came off the track. Uh, we wound up having a pretty good year, but not what it could have been. Anyway, um, I was drafted back then. I think they had 12. Uh, rounds? 12 or, 12 or 13, 14 rounds. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember, there were two separate leagues. There was the AFL and the NFL. There was, what, 15 teams in the NFL and eight, I believe, in the AFL. And uh, so I was a 10th-round draft choice in the NFL by the 49ers. And I was about 168 by the Jets. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, and so you know you're in the fourth round now. You're 160 something, so they're just 32 teams drafting, and so they the 49ers didn't know what I was going to do. They put me at I played tight end, I played flanker, I played halfback, and the 49ers at that day and time their whole offensive theory in the backfield John Brody was a quarterback they had what they called the baby bulls they were all big ball players right the uh, average running back weighed about 230 I think mm-hmm. I was about 210 uh oh, I got John David Crowe was in that one yeah that was John and David then, that was a great team those are those some great players on that team yeah uh oh. let's see uh Bernie Casey was a wide receiver. Uh, Dave Parks was a wide receiver. Right. Uh, Ken Willard was a running back. I played against Ken Willard when he was at North Carolina. Gotcha. So, uh, and I had two teammates. I had two Georgia teammates on that team. Uh, Wayne Swinford and Jim Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne was a defensive back, and Got Jim it. Wilson was a guard. And then uh, back then they also – you can only have 40 players on a team. Well, just my luck, I was the 41st player. <laughs> and uh, I was there until the Monday before the first game. Got it. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't there. And then the Falcons called me, and I went and played with the Falcons in 66. And uh, I did all right. Uh Preston, I gotta keep. I mo- I got, Preston, I gotta keep moving. I gotta get to the Raiders here because I have limited time. Okay. T- tell me about. Tell me about the legendary touchdown in the Heidi game and how that game developed with Joe Namath and the Jets in town. The importance of that game, the rivalry, and what happened when your name was called on. Walk me through the end of that game. Well, uh, we're sitting on the sideline and. I kept saying to myself, we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game. And as it got late in the game, I kept saying, we're going to win the game, but I don't know how we're going to win the game. And, of course, we didn't know that the game was taken off television at 7 o'clock in the east, 4 o'clock in the west. And uh, 
course, Charlie Smith scores, and then we kick off, and uh, gosh, they're they're bouncing the ball all around the field. They keep dropping it and hitting it, and it just was one of those things where I was coming in, and things flashed through your mind so quick. I, I, I scooped the ball up, and I didn't know if I could I get my rules mixed up. Sure, I could run into the end zone with the ball, but I tried to scoop it and make it look like one motion where I could go from the two-yard line into the end zone, look like one motion for the touchdown, and of course, we win the game, and had it not been taken off television, it would have just been another great ending to a ball game, but it was very crucial for us, if I remember correctly, because we had to win out. Right. Uh I think New York had pretty much the East wrapped up, but we were in a battle with Kansas City uh, for the West, and we had to win out. And, of course, back in those days, uh, there was no tiebreaker. And uh, we won. uh, They beat us at their home. We beat them at our home. And uh, uh, we wound up dead even for the – for the season, and so we had a playoff game. And the interesting thing about that playoff game, that was the first playoff game. Right. If if you go back and think about it, there were no playoff games. I mean, the East played the West, and the winner went to the Super Bowl. But as far as playoff games, and then they saw the league and television saw the interest in playoff games, and pretty soon there were big playoff games. Absolutely, that you but, were a big uh, you were a big part in that team in that era of NFL AFL history. Preston Riddle Huber's our guest. Preston, as we wrap this up, there's Al Davis, there's Mark Davis, Oakland, LA, and now Vegas. What does it mean to you to be an alumni and a member of this organization who participated in one of the greatest plays in Raider history? Well, it, it's. Uh... It's one of those. It's amazing to me, having gone around the country, and of course, after I left uh, Oakland, I was up in Buffalo. But in Atlanta, wherever I've been, wherever you go, there are Raider fans, and I know that they're crazy in uh, Oakland, and I'm assuming they're going to be crazy there in L.A. Also, I mean, in Las Vegas also. So, but there are Raider fans everywhere. And when people find out I played for the Raiders, oh, they want to talk, talk, talk. And, of course, <laughs> you can listen to me right now, and you know I like to talk to them. So. But they, uh, they, uh, it's amazing to me, uh, the, the Raider fans and the passion that people have for the Raiders around the country. And I, I look back and I think, well, maybe it was because of the way we played back then and some of the characters we had on our team, we had some characters. And I love every one of them today. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I keep thinking about those t- teammates. And, of course, uh, a lot of them are gone, but a lot of them are still around. And it's amazing when I think about the players that I played with. And, uh, and uh, Al and, uh, of course, I remember Mark. Yes. Mark is Mark is li- Mark is listening, and Mark is really happy that you're doing this, and so are the alumni. So, we wanted to thank you for coming on. We can't wait to host you in Vegas. Hopefully, you're coming out here with your family. You could see Allegiant Stadium, well, I, and we can I, do this. Well, they called me and told me that they were putting bricks down for everybody. Yes, 
that had been Raiders, and they sent me a copy of the brick, and I kept telling my wife, I said, they're going to put mine in the urinal, I know. So. <laughs> It's right out front, Preston. The guy who scores the final oh, okay. touchdown in the Heidi game, everyone is going to be at your brick. Hey, I got to run, but thanks for doing this. We we are honored to talk to you. My first time interviewing you. We'll get you on a podcast and do it when we have more time. That'll be great. Thank you, Thank sir. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Preston Huber, who scored the final touchdown in the Heidi game. One of the most important moments, iconic moments in Raider history. Never spoke to the gentleman Born November 2nd, 1943. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Brought to you by our good friends at Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. When I'm talking X's and O's with Preston Huber, I got a Remy Martin cocktail in my vision. Remy Martin, the sidecar. Go have a Remy Martin cocktail at the Raiders Tavern and Grill, where I'll be tomorrow. Coming up next, Jeff Sherman from the Westgate. How are the odds changing? With the Golden Knights and especially the NBA playoffs, that happens next. Trey Young dribbling up top. Trey backs up, shoots the three. Bang! Trey Young with a clutch three pointer. Well, how about the Hawks, Philadelphia, the NBA, and the NHL playoffs? JT, back with you. Brought to you by Modelo, an official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. Modelo, proud partner of the show. Every two weeks, we talk to Jeff Sherman, who joins us, the VP of Risk Management over at the Superbook at the Westgate. Jeff, before we get to the NHL and the NBA, I was thinking of you when John Rahm was disqualified at the Memorial how did that change everything going into Sunday with you in regards to the golf odds? It was tough making them on Saturday night. You know, we even had to wait and not do adjusted outrights because some of the players that he was in contact with, uh, we didn't know if they were going to play the final round. So we, we got some fourth-round matchups up, and I got up the adjusted odds Sunday morning, so a little bit less of a shelf life. But, you know, him pulling out, uh, Cantley the winner, so we graded Cantley the winner, and Unfortunately, uh, Rom was not a winning ticket. And how about the money he lost? One point six seven million, and how that changes is every is, does anything in the front or back of your mind with the U.S. Open coming forward? And is there another opportunity? We don't know who's vaccinated or not, but we assumed everybody in the on the PGA Tour would most likely be vaccinated. How you how do you deal with this going forward? Well, I've heard that it's about 50% of the tours vaccinated right now, and I would think this would encourage more to get vaccinated just because of the protocols in place. I believe Ron will be able to play in the U.S. Open. I think his quarantine and or isolation ends two days prior to the tournament, so I'm sure he's out on a golf course right now practicing and playing, and uh, he'll be ready to go for it. He's currently the favorite at 12 to one ahead of Kepka and DeChambeau at 14 to one. So. Uh, still a betting favorite with us. Jeff Sherman's our guest. So the Golden Knights have that unbelievable come-from-behind win in Denver. What are the adjusted odds now for the Stanley Cup with the teams that are left? Well, first time in the playoffs now that the Knights are the favorite to win the Stanley Cup is 7-4 odds, and that's right ahead of Tampa, 2-1, to one, who finished off their series last night. Uh, we have Colorado at 6-1, to one, the Islanders 10, Bruins and, and Canadians each at 12-1, to one, so... Uh, you know, the, the Knights are the only team that the book has liability on. We're in good shape on everyone else, but they are the, 
the current favorites. Yeah, and liability because a lot of fans are just throwing a 50, 100 bucks on the nights before they go to the game? Well, it was. Uh, we saw a lot of money show up before the Colorado series on them to win the cup since they were an underdog for the first time that, you know, in a while in a series. So we took a lot of nights money in the series on the cup prices at five to one, uh, as they got down in the series and we bumped them up to eight to one, we saw some more money. So a lot of this uh, liability has accrued lately. Jeff Sherman's our guest. How have the odds changed since you've seen the Nets play in the NBA, especially without James Harden and how they're dominating Milwaukee? Yeah, well, we have a, a pretty solid favor right now at six to five, and you know, just like the Knights, they're one of our larger liabilities, so we're staying low on them. But uh, they've looked great, especially against Milwaukee, who just every year seems to look just like a regular season team and not a playoff team. And uh, they're going to have a tough go at it right now, but we've eased Milwaukee out. Uh, Utah is looking good; they're at uh, plus three seventy-five right now as a second choice. But um, it, it looks like it could potentially be something like. Brooklyn or and Utah, uh, Phoenix looks good at seven to one. Denver has her work cut out there. The longest shot at forty to one. Jeff, I had Pete Rose on earlier, and we discussed the scandal now in baseball with pitchers and how Major League Baseball wants to clean up the foreign substance. How is that affecting? I don't think it's affecting the handle overall and the mindset of your baseball betters. Aren't baseball betters historically some of the sharpest? They feel that there's value, and now it's the first five innings of a game with middle relief. How difficult is it to handicap baseball, especially with the domination of some of these pitchers? Well, what you're seeing now is a really different price in the marketplace on the first five inning versus the game price because of the way the bullpens are and getting the, the starting pitcher for those five innings. Sometimes you're not even getting a starting pitcher. You might be getting the bullpen game, but when you do get a solid pitcher, you see it really reflected, and the game price might be a dollar twenty on the favorite. The first five innings could be as high as fifty or sixty. So, uh, really, two different marketplaces accentuated right now. Jeff Sherman is our guest from the Westgate to Superbook. I wanted to move quickly over to football and Aaron Rodgers and what you're hearing from your customers and. Where Aaron Rodgers is going to land, it's been quiet here as of late. It seems like the Packers are sitting back trying to calm this behind the scenes, and Aaron Rodgers is digging in. It seems like Denver, is the franchise still the favorite to land him? Well, yeah, we're seeing some Denver support still show up. They were at 40-1, to now 30-1, to so people are thinking that's the most likely spot, and we've eased Green Bay out to 20-1 to for the Super Bowl, which is extremely high in a Rodgers era, so people aren't looking to support the Packers right now. We're seeing very little money show up at 20 to one on them. So right now it's leaning towards Denver from the way the money is showing up. So you're surprised there's no sharps jumping on the Packers now at 20 to one, if they can rectify this and bring them back just for one more year. Well, I think everyone's just taking a wait and see approach because they don't want to tie it up. And then if he ends up going, then, you know, you could add a zero to that and get the Packers at 200 to one. So it's a, it's a tough situation right now. And, you know, in this day and age of information and Twitter, people are probably sitting back waiting and trying to find that out quickly and then move on it and get some value. And finally, Jeff, it's just exciting times here in Vegas. The other night I was watching soccer. We're going to have the Gold Cup out here, as you know, and Mexico and Team USA. What's the handle like for soccer when there's a big game involving Americans? Uh, you'd be surprised. It's fantastic. We wow. wrote a lot on that game. Uh, both sides of it really well supported. So uh, to have a match like that, hopefully those two can face each other out here, uh, the handle would be through the roof. It would honestly be an NFL-sized decision. Any early number I didn't see on Fury Wilder coming up here? 
Uh, we have Fury minus 280 and Wilder plus 240. A little bit of wow. dog money showed up after we opened it. Minus 300, plus 250. So plus 250 on Wilder down to plus 240? Yes. With a guy with one big punch like that. Man, that is going to be interesting to see. Jeff, I'll see you around town. I'll be down there soon. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, JT. Jeff Sherman. Wow. You can bet Deontay Wilder plus 240. Mm, I you know because puncher's chance. That's the you know the bomber, you know bronze bomber coming in and maybe hitting Fury and putting him out. I like that there. Fury, Fury hates Wilder. What a big event here in Vegas, and I'm going to the fights the next two weekends at Virgin Hotels. So I'll be at the fights the next two weekends, and we're going to be giving away two tickets to the Virgin weekend. You're going to go see Christina Aguilera. But I can't do it without phone calls. 702-365-9200. How about something on the Golden Knights? Raider Nation, unite! We're talking VGK next on Raider Nation Radio.